name, at the name of Jesus, at the mention of that name, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, Fathers, we've come together tonight to continue our study on the believer's authority. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who is here to teach us, to guide us, to instruct us. We yield to him tonight that he might speak to each of our hearts so we might receive that which we need tonight. So Father, we give you all the praise and the glory because you're worthy of it. And we just thank you that your blessing is upon this time. We thank you for it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We'll go ahead and receive and praise the Lord. <clears throat> just to remind you, a reminder to you, um, on that, the back table, there aren't just simply the notes there, but um, there's also some sheets um, of family information. If you haven't filled one of those out for a while, just uh, ask you to fill out one anew. So we've got birthdays and anniversaries and all that stuff correct in our records if there's been any address change or anything like that. And if you just have aren't sure, just grab one of the sheets and fill it out, and that gives me a chance to check it out to make sure the information is correct. So that's on the back table there, if you'd grab one of those before you leave, or get one now, I don't care, and fill it out through the study, but just uh, would like everybody to do that. So tonight we're continuing our study on the, the believer's authority. And like I've said so many times, I really believe that this is such a, a key teaching for us to get a hold of it if we're going to truly walk in the fullness of the victory that, that belongs to us. Um, and so tonight, uh, the title of the message, a specific message, is Revival, or, or How Does Revival um, Come? You know, I think a lot of times we have different ideas as to what revival is. We've talked about revival movements and revival services and so forth. And uh, I think sometimes what we confuse with revival is just enthusiasm. Now, enthusiasm is great. Enthusiasm is wonderful. Um, but to truly be revived, it takes something more than that. Um, revival, as I have in the notes, is when people are completely in love with God. In, in other words, everything else ceases to matter so much. You remember back in the, the 70s, during the charismatic renewal, you know, it was, it was truly a, a revival that took place in the church, and many times it was amongst the denominations. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that was so unique about it was that people literally had just, uh, for the first time, fallen in love with Jesus as they never had before. And people out of denominations and, and so forth that had gone to church their entire lives, uh, all at once, you know, speaking from experience, had an encounter with God and it was, and, and they were revived, they were enthusiastic about um, the things of God. You know, we're going to talk about that to a, to a, in a lesser degree, I guess. 
But I think the, the more important thing is that uh, we, we live a life, basically, of revival. Rather than looking for some special event to take place that, you know, you know we can be revived, that we, they live, that we live in it, we walk in it, and experience Him in His fullness. But let me give you a little bit of, in your notes, we, in the beginning there, I talk about revival and what it is. Um, there, when we have revival, there's a freshness, a vitality, an excitement about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and so if, if we're not excited about God, if we're not excited about Jesus, if we're not excited about the things that he's done in our life, uh, we, we, need, we need to be revived. But we're not talking about a specific service. We just need to um, get fired up and get more excited about the things of God. And we're going to be talking about how we can do that and so forth. Um, in revival, the miracle power of God is in manifestation. People are being healed, delivered, saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost. You know, and so that's, as believers, that's supposed to be part of our, our life. It isn't something that's supposed to be a special event that occurs once in a while, but that's supposed to be part of our, our Christian life. And so if we're not seeing that, um, we need to experience revival in our life. Um, churches are full of growth. Folks, you know, are looking. They're coming back to God. You know, and so those are the things that when we begin to talk about revival, you know, <clears throat> I used to always say, well, we don't need a revival because to revive something means that something is either passed out or it's dead. You know, and so if we're, if we're saying we need a, a revival, we're, we're either comatose or... Or, or dead, one or the other. Uh, but you know, I, I've come to the conviction, the persuasion that, you know, anytime we're not as excited about Jesus and the things of God as we once were, we need a revival. That doesn't mean that we're, we're not involved. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, love God, that we don't care about God. It's just that <clears throat> our enthusiasm about God and the things of God have begun to wane a little bit. And in order to uh, restore that, there's some things that we have to, that we have to do. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> I say from time to time we have to, and I, I know that we are a free will agent. We can do what we want. Um, it's like I told the guys Monday night at prison, you know, you can, you can go to hell if you want to. I happen to think you're pretty stupid if you do. You know, but as a free will agent, you... You have a perfect right to do that. You have a right to reject God. And anywhere along the, the way, we, have, we, we can reject the things of God if we want to. Now, we're pretty foolish if we do. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons that I emphasize the things that I emphasize, you know, things that I consider to be very, very important, you know, reading the Word of God, meditating in the Word of God, having a life of prayer, especially, or, or along with praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, um, fellowshipping with other believers, going to church. The reason why I believe that all these things are important, giving of our tithes and offerings, you know, that's just because you're, 
you're, you're, you're old and you're old school, like um, your grandson says. Well, all of that may be true. But the reason that I emphasize those things so much is because that's what's worked in my life. Now, <clears throat> I haven't lived the perfect Christian life and so on and so forth. But one thing that I, that I do know is that I've never been in the place in the last 45 years where I've really given thought to walking away from the things of God or thinking that serving God isn't worth any kind of sacrifice that might be involved in it. And as a result of that, I, you know, because to get results, it requires effort on our part. And I believe I've seen victory in our lives in, in many areas. And so that's why I emphasize those things. And, uh, and so when we begin to talk about um, revival and uh, accepting and receiving the things of God, <clears throat> I made a statement on Sunday that I, I don't think I'd ever made it before. I think, I, I think it was Sunday that I said it. But... If I didn't say it on Sunday, I know I said it on Monday night, but I think I said it on Monday night because I'd said it on prior night. Prior night. But if I didn't, you know, then you're hearing it for the first time. You know, but I, I, I made the statement because you hear me all the time quoting uh, the quotation from Smith Wigglesworth. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. You know, the Bible says it, and I believe it. But you know what? I've got to really believe it before it's settled. There's a lot of times, you know, I've seen what the Bible says and I've mentally agreed with it. You know, they call it mentally ascending. But I've mentally agreed with it, but it wasn't totally settled in my thinking. Because anytime something would come along to distract that from me, because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to distract us from the truth and he wants to bring in doubt. And that's why it's got to be settled in our, in our hearts and our minds. And it doesn't, it isn't settled just because we heard it one time. It's, it's settled when, as it says in Romans 10, 17, we've heard the word of God and we've heard the word of God and we've heard the word of God because Romans 10, 17, where it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you look that up in the Greek, it's in the continuous present tense. And so we need to continually in the present, continually hear the word of God. Because when we do that, that's when faith rises up on the inside of us. And we begin to, we begin to walk in the victory that is truly ours in, in Christ Jesus. And so we need to hear this word. We need to digest this word. We need to allow this word to get down deep inside of us. And, and so, see, to me, that's kind of where this, this whole concept of revival comes in. You know, <clears throat> uh, if we've been away from the word for, many, for any period of time, you know, faith comes by hearing and faith goes by not hearing. And so we get into those places where, you know, it's, it's not as, as, as alive as it once was. We're not as excited about it as we once were were. And what we need in our life is we need a revival. And the way that we walk in that revival 
is returning to the things that brought us to that place where we have the confidence and we have the assurance in the Word of God, in the things of God. And, uh, you know, I've made mention several different times to a, a particular book that I read way back, you know, probably 40 years ago. And it was during the charismatic renewal, there was a, a, um, a preacher, his name was David Christensen, he was out in California, and a Lutheran pastor, and he wrote this book, and <clears throat> the title of the book was Back to Square One. And in his teaching, what he taught was that when you get to a place where you feel like you're lost or you're, you, you don't know where to turn or whatever, Go back to square one. Go back to that point where you knew what you knew what you knew. Go back there. And of course, you know, I mentioned it so many times in, in my messages that uh, I think it was Jody Lang went out and did whatever y'all do on Amazon or whatever stupid Zippo thing you do, you know, and found it and bought me one, you know, and... Uh, so now in my office, I once again have the book back to square one. You know, it's 40-some years old, but it, it's in my office. But see, that's the point. You know, <clears throat> I think oftentimes we, we get to this point and we say, well, I'm not where I used to be. I sure wish I was still there. Well, you don't get there by wishing and hoping. You get there by applying the Word of God in our life. And so what I want to talk with you tonight, when we're talking about revival and so forth, I don't know how to get back on a track other than just go there and back to square one where I knew where I was heading tonight and got away from that, so we're going to go back there. But I want to talk to you about having a mediator. You know, and we under the new covenant, we have one mediator, and that's Jesus. And he's a representative to God. We, we no longer have to have a, a priest or a rabbi that we go to to be our mediator. We have Jesus. He fulfills that role in your life and in my life. And so in your notes, in 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so a mediator is someone who stands between two parties that are at odds with each other, uh, seeking to reconcile them. And so the point of the, rec of the mediator is try to, try to, be, try to bring um, reconciliation. You know, and so <clears throat> as a counselor, one of the uh, avenues of a counselor, especially when you're dealing in counseling and relationship is to, to be a mediator. You know, sometimes you feel more like an umpire, you know, and you're trying to keep the two sides from killing each other. You know, and so, but, but you're the mediator, you're the one in between to make sure that we hear properly, that we hear correctly. Well, that's, that's Jesus's job. You know, and what Jesus' job is, is he, he speaks to us what Father God has to say to us. He's our mediator, and he's there to make sure that we hear correctly. The problem is, is, is if, we, 
If we bypass the mediator, we hear what we think we hear. We see what we think we see. It's in the, in the physical that we go there. You know, one of the things that I found to be one of the things that I do when I'm mediating is that, that somebody will say something and it'll upset the other person. I'll say, no, 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 you didn't cure them correctly. This is what they're really saying. You know, to, to, so that they hear it correctly. We need to recognize who our mediator is. Because if we don't correctly do that, what happens is we will go to the Bible and we will read the Bible, especially when we read in the Old Testament, even in the, in the New Testament. And if we're not relying upon the mediator, we will give it our own interpretation. And so what happens is we get all kinds of screwy thoughts and we, we get ourselves under bondage and all these things because rather than hearing what the mediator has to say, and he's going to speak to us through the Holy Spirit, rather than listening to him, we begin to listen to man's voices. And I don't know about you, every time that I've ignored the, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit and listened to the voice of man, all that is brought into my life is total confusion. Because so often, the very things that the Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal to me, that the mediator is wanting to reveal to me, those around me are trying to bombard me with something else. And so we need to learn and we need to recognize we have a mediator, we need a mediator, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's why we put the word first place, because Jesus is the word. And so that's what's so interesting about it, is we get our revelation from the word, and the word in the person of Jesus is the mediator who is the one there to reveal it to us. And so we need to be sensitive to that. You know, in the Old Testament, there was this gap between God and man. There was this separation. You know, we see through the scriptures where it talks about how there, there was no mediator. We see it with Job, where Job says, I, there is no mediator, there is no umpire, depending on what translation you're going to use. And, and so there was, this, there was this void that was there. But within that separation between God and man, we see that there was a man that was brought forth, and his name was Moses. And Moses was brought forth as a mediator between God and man to some extent to bring truth, to bring reality. And, and so let me read from Galatians, the third chapter in the 19th verse, and it says, because remember, Moses brought the law. He brought, he was the one that went up the mount, got the Ten Commandments, got the law, brought it back to us. And, it said, and so in that sense, with the law, he was, he was the mediator between God and man. And so as that mediator, that law as that mediator was to show us how we could please God, how we could serve God, how we could be obedient to God. And so Galatians 3.19, it says, For what purpose then does the law serve? It was added, and he talks about being added 
because of the sea. It was added. And so a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, I talked about the Abrahamic covenant. And that was the covenant that was given to you and me. And that was within, was given to Adam, uh, trying to hurry, to Abraham and to the folk around him. And uh, it says that the law was added to that because even though man had that covenant with Abraham, they still continued to do whatever they, they wanted to do. And so Moses became this mediator to show the way. Now the problem with the way was nobody could keep it. And so it says here, what was the purpose then, what, what, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added, in other words, it was added to the Abrahamic covenant, not to the covenant itself, but it was added so that we might have relationship. It was added because of transgression. Why was it added? Because of transgression. Isn't it interesting it doesn't say because of sin. It says it was added because of transgression. It was added because man had this idea that man could go out and do whatever he wanted to do. He could do his own thing. You know, we have people today that accuse those of us that are uh, preachers of grace, that believe in the grace message. They, they accuse us of the very same thing. But it's, no, we, we don't say that grace allows you to be a transgressor. What grace does is it gives you wisdom and knowledge, it gives you understanding, it gives you freedom so that you can serve God with a whole heart and you no longer have to be a transgressor. We can begin to walk in fellowship, in harmony with God. I never had this thought before until right now. Isn't it interesting, under the Abrahamic covenant, they never talked about sin. It was transgression. It wasn't following after the things of God. Sin wasn't talked about until, you know, you, you get to the law. Because sin then, because it was contrary to the law, you know, it's, it's like the laws today. If we didn't have a speeding law, you could drive as fast as you want. Now, you might be transgressing, because you may be going against what is logical and what is wisdom to do. But you wouldn't be sinning because you wouldn't be breaking any law. And that's the condition that the people were in. They were transgressing what God had instructed them or what God wanted for them, which was going to lead to destruction. But it wasn't really called sin. It was transgression. And so Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price for all of our sin, past, present, and future. So sin is no longer an issue in, in our lives. But you know what? As believers, we transgress. As believers, we do things that we know are contrary to the will and the purpose of God. Now, what grace does, it doesn't justify that. What grace does, it brings forgiveness of that, but then it also shows us the way to get back into obedience to God because it isn't through the law, because the law didn't work. And so, reading on again, it says, what purpose does the law serve? It was added because of transgression till. Everybody say till. It, it, it designates a time. Till 
the seed, singular, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. That was Moses. And so the law was given, and it was given for a specific time, from the time that the law was given until the seed, which was Jesus. And so because the seed, Jesus, has come and he's paid the price, who is now our mediator, so we, don't know, we no longer need Moses, we no longer need the law, because we have Jesus as our mediator. It, it, it all changes. Everything changes. Moses stood as a mediator between an angry God and a sinful people. Now, what's different is our sins have been forgiven and God's not mad anymore. Remember a few weeks ago, the, I, I said, I, I want you to leave with, with this one point clear in your mind. God's not mad anymore. God's not mad at you. But you know, under the old covenant, you know, and this is, you know, who are you going to listen to? Ghost, but no. You know, who are you going to listen to? You know, because if you listen to somebody that's trying to be a, the, the mediator using the old covenant principles, it doesn't work. We're listening to the wrong voice, and that wrong voice will never lead us to where we need to, where we need to be. And see, that's why for years... I thought God was mad at me. I thought I was serving an angry God. I thought if I, 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 I missed the mark, if I transgressed, then it was sin, that God was angry at me and I was going to be punished for it. And so there's, there's all sorts of people today that when bad things happen in their life, they think God's doing it, God is punishing them for what they had done. But you see, we've got to come to the place where we have an understanding that, that God isn't mad at us anymore. You know what? It changes everything when you don't believe that God is mad at you anymore. All of us make mistakes, or is it, is it just me? <clears throat> and some, of you, some, of, some of you all... Well, well, good. I'm glad that I'm not good that you make mistakes, but I'm sure glad I'm not alone on this deal. But you know, if I know that somebody loves me unconditionally, if I've done something that has the potential of hurting them or offending them, if I know that they love me, it empowers me or I'm a whole lot more able to go to them and deal with it. But you know, if I know that somebody is angry at me and if somebody doesn't like me and if somebody is just looking for flaw in my life, it's really difficult to go to them and confirm the very things that they're thinking about me. And so, you know, I, I, I always caught the Adam syndrome. You know, there's a lot of born-again believers that are still operating under the Adam syndrome. Remember when Adam sinned? Ate of the tree. God shows up in the scene and says, Adam, Adam, where are you? 
Well, he knew where Adam was. And what did Adam say? He says, well, I, I hid myself because I was naked and I was fearful. Even though he didn't have any reason to think it at the time, he saw God as an angry God. And that's what a lot of Christians today, they see God as an angry God. And so as a result of that, when they mess up, they don't run to God. They run from God and they hide from God. You know, it can be a bottle. It can be, you know, all sorts of other things. We have, we have all sorts of ways that we hide from God. You know, <clears throat> one of my avenues that I used to hide from God was football. Football is the answer for everything. But you know, on a Saturday afternoon after I'd watched my third football game and I can't remember the score of anyone or who played, I knew that it really wasn't about football. I was hiding. And you know, the thing about it is we can be so good at burying and hiding things, we don't even know what we're hiding. And so I learned to sit back and do a little bit of a self-analyzation. What is it? And I could see that there was something that wasn't right in my relationship. It might have been with others, but ultimately it was with him. And so I dealt with it. So that's how you learn to deal with things. But rather than hiding in the bushes, we've got to come out in the open. And the horrible thing about coming out in the open is sometimes, just as Adam and Eve, we've got to expose our nakedness. And that wasn't so bad when I was younger, but it gets worse every year. <laughs> you know, but but, but that, that's just how it is. We, it, we, we expose ourselves. You know, isn't it interesting when, when we have to be really honest with anybody, and especially when we're really honest with God, there's a vulnerability with that. But you know what? That's, that's necessary for there to be an effective revival in our life. There has to be a vulnerability. There has to be an openness. And so God's not mad at us. But the thing is, is if, if you study your Bible through an Old Testament lens, you're still going to see God is an angry God. You're still going to see God as a God who's wanting to, to punish you because you haven't been perfect. Well, get a clue. You're not ever going to be perfect. You know, maybe some of you are so deluded you think you are, but, <laughs> you know, just uh, I can probably mention a few people in your lives that can inform you that you're not. Because none of us are. If we were perfect, our name would be Jesus. And there's only one. And he truly is perfect. And so, let's look at Exodus 32, 12, and 14. It's in your notes. And Why should the Egyptians speak or say, He brought them out, of, out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them? 
on the face of the earth. Turn from your, from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do the people. Now, now this is Moses. And see, this is the point that I want us to see in this is really nowhere along the way did God want to bring harm to his people. But he had no other way, no other avenue to deal with him. And so when we still live and we look at our life from a simply a flesh viewpoint, we're going, we're going to miss the mark. I was sharing with Sean yesterday and he was sharing with me a discussion that he had with an individual and this individual didn't believe in, in uh, that we were a spirit being. Now there, there, there's great difficulty if you don't believe that you're a spirit being because it was your, your spirit man that was born again. And so if you, if you simply believe that that you're just a existing soul like they did in the old covenant. You're still going to see God as an angry God. You're not going to recognize that because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you have truly become the righteousness of God in Christ. And in your spirit, man, you are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And you begin to see God through different lenses. You begin to see God as a loving father. You begin to see God as a God who wants to bring blessing into your life. You begin to see God as a God who wants to bring wholeness and restoration to every area of your life. But you know what? If we look at him through the wrong lens, and by that, I mean listening to the wrong stuff, we're not going to be convinced that God is who he is. We're going to be convinced that God is what the old covenant, what they saw then. But we serve a new God, a wonderful God, a loving God. This work under the old covenant, because God was angry, sin had separated mankind from him. And there was judgment to, hand, to be handed out. And see, <clears throat> we, don't, we don't fear judgment. I don't know if you fear judgment. I don't fear judgment. It's not because I'm so perfect. It's because I have a perfect mediator in Jesus who loves me completely, who walks in the fullness of what we've made available, he's made available to us. Let's turn over to Hebrews, the seventh chapter. It's not in your notes because it's the whole chapter. Hebrews, the seventh chapter. He's talking about Melchizedek. And it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, prince of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. This is the first time we see the tithe in the scripture. And it's 430 years before the law was given. And so Moses, or excuse me, Abraham just simply did it out of respect and out of reverence. And so 
So Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of prince, of peace rather. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the sons of man, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was. To even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoil. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. <clears throat> now, now remember, Aaron was the first priest. And those of his descendants of the tribe of Levi, they were the priesthood. But notice, they collected tithes. But how and why did they collect tithes? It says, according to the law. Abraham didn't give a tithe because of the law. He gave a tithe because of reverence, because of respect, because of love, because of appreciation. It wasn't because somebody commanded him to. Melchizedek didn't ask him for it. He just chose to give it to him. He gave it as a matter of faith. And where do I find Levi again? Um, according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham, but, he, but though whose genealogy is not derived from them receiving tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Abraham had the promise. Under the law, it wasn't based on promise. It was based on obedience. You see, really, um, we have a better covenant. But it isn't just talking about the old covenant. It's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. You know, to some extent, the Abrahamic covenant has been restored to us because our covenant is no longer based on our actions. It's based on a promise. Abraham believed, received the blessing of God because of the promise. The promise was, uh, as the sands of the sea of the stars in the heavens, so shall your descendants be, that you would be blessed beyond measure. And that's the promise that's been given to you and I. The promise that was given to you and I through Jesus Christ is, um, is without, um, what's the word that I want? It is without requirement on our part. It's a promise. Now, we, we oftentimes don't receive it because I guess there, if there is a requirement, is that we believe it, so that we have faith in it. But oftentimes we don't, and so we don't see the manifestation of it. Now, <clears throat> beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he received them, to whom it was a witness that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. 
through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And well, we're not going to read the whole thing, but it's talking about the mediator and how that mediation works and how it's so important for us to recognize the covenant that we're under so that we can walk in the fullness of it, so that we can see God as he really is, that we no longer be deluded by seeing him through a lens that's not accurate. You know, before I came here tonight, because I, I was in a hurry this morning, and uh, I did get my teeth brushed, uh, but I didn't get my glasses washed. And so this evening when I'm getting ready to come here, I, I'm, I'm looking through my glasses and I'm thinking, I can hardly see through those things. So I went and washed them and I washed them really good and I, and I put them back on and I thought, whoa, that really makes a difference. <laughs> you know, when, you're, when your lens is clean, it really makes a difference. And when we look through the proper lens, it really makes a difference in our life. When we're looking at what God has done for each and every one of us through the proper lens, it changes the way we see things. I used to, as I said earlier, I used to see God as mad. I used to see God as angry. But in changing that lens, I no longer see him that way. I see him as a loving Heavenly Father. And that's how we ought to see him. Let's look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 10th and the 14th verse, through the 14th verse. And it says, By that, we'll, <clears throat> by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Not over and over again, once for all. And every priest standing ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. You've got to understand something. Under that law, there wasn't anything they could do to take away their sin. Through the sacrifice of animals, through the blood sacrifice, their sin could be covered over, but their sin could never be removed. And because your sin cannot be, their sin could not be removed, the, the, the stigma, the stench of that sin could not be removed. And so year after year after year, when that sacrifice was made, they were reminded of their sinfulness. They were reminded how they had fallen short of the glory of God. You know what's sad is, we take so many of those passages, and we take them, and they're, they're, applied, they're, they're applicable to the individual before they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, 
But we often take those, those passages and we try to now apply them in our life and they're no longer applicable. It's still true, but it doesn't apply to us any longer because of what Jesus has done for us. And so notice the difference. Jesus was offered as a sacrifice for our sins once for all to take away our sins. The priesthood made sacrifice as the mediator. Remember, that's what we're talking about. The mediator. They were that mediator year after year after year making the same sacrifice year after year after year. The, the, we as, as, as the people going to the priest had the same consciousness of sin year after year after year, not being set free of that, but through Christ Jesus. That sacrifice that was made once and for all, for all of our sins, did not cover our sin, but it washed away our sin, and we no longer have to have a consciousness of it. And so those things that bring back a consciousness of our unworthiness, it's looking through the wrong lens. It's not looking to the completed works of Jesus. Verse 11, And every priest standing ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, whew, I don't know if I should read this, I might have a riot in here, because it's so good. For by one offering, I don't know if I have enough boldness to read this, because this statement goes against what so many would say concerning us as believers in Christ Jesus. For by one offering, how many offerings? One offerings. He, Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And who are those that are being sanctified? Those that are allowing Jesus to be their mediator. Those that receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because we not only receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we receive him as our mediator. We receive him as our in-between. Between God and flesh man. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? God reconciled us to God through God. I mean, he couldn't. He, 
He didn't even give man an opportunity to screw this one up. God reconciled man to God through God, the perfect mediator through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, but has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And what do we do? We introduce them to the mediator. You know, <clears throat> we don't have to convince people they're sinners. They know it. We have, to, we have to convince them there's a mediator. One who will mediate you to God, who represent God to you and reveal to you how much he truly loves you. John 19, 30. So then Jesus had received the sour wine. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus said, it's finished. He's saying, it's all done. There isn't any more that can be done. There isn't any more that we can do because of what Jesus, because of what I have accomplished here on the cross. We need to believe God's word and release our authority to go out and preach the gospel. But you know what? <clears throat> It's really hard to share something that you're not convinced of yourself. It's hard to tell somebody, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, if you don't believe it yourself. It's hard to tell people, you know, God's not mad at you. In spite of what Religion has said, in spite of what you felt in your own life, in spite of your experiences, I want you to know God's not mad at you. But you know what? It's hard to share that if you're not convinced of it yourself. But once we begin to be totally convinced of what Jesus has done for us, um, everything begins to change. You know, uh, I don't remember who it was. I think it was Kenneth Copeland who was, was preaching about how, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to bring revelation to us. But, it, but it's like a, a pipe. And, you know, I understand this. Pipes being clogged, having been a plumber for 12 years. But, you know, <clears throat> when, that, when that pipe becomes clogged, it, it affects the flow. I mean, the flow doesn't have to completely stop, but it'll affect the flow. And it's, <clears throat> it's all sorts of foreign objects, foreign substances that get into that pipe that begin to affect the flow. If you've got steel pipe and it's a water line, and if it's been there for years and years, um, you can get, it can begin to corrode and, and the rust will actually begin to close in and close that, that pipe off. And I think sometimes that's where 
where believers are. They haven't allowed a whole lot of foreign material get in there, but they've just gotten rusty. You know, it's, it, it's not as fresh as it once was. They, they haven't kept the flow going, and, and once the flow begins to get interrupted, it, it, it makes the way for that rust, that gunk, to build up. So how do we keep the flow going? Well, <clears throat> you know, Jude 20 says, praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up in your most holy faith. And so, you know, I, I know that in the day that we're in today, a lot of Pentecostals avoid the subject of tongues because they don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to, you know, this, that, but it's, it's an essential tool that we have in our life to keep that flow strong in our life. Um, I, I was listening, and, and I, I think I made mention of this, I, I was listening to um, Bible Nuggets. Um, um, Rick Renner. And, and he was talking about, and you know, he's bringing out the Greek concerning some of these words. And, and he is he's talking about praying in the Spirit. And, and what it's talking about is actually like expanding. It's a, it's a carpenter term, term. And he says it's like expanding your dwelling. And so when we're, we're praying in the Holy Spirit, we're, we're not simply keeping the pipes clean. We're expanding but see, there's other stuff that we allow to get in the way that begin to hinder that flow in our life. And we need to <clears throat> keep our pipes clean because we don't want a rotor rooter. You know, we, we want it to just open up and flow like it's supposed to. In the New Testament, the believers went and preach the word everywhere. You know, <clears throat> again, I know that y'all probably get sick of it. But you know, when I share my stories, I see your eyeballs roll. Don't try to, you know, you, you don't hide it that well. And especially when I talk about that Saturday morning in the basement of Vern Lewis's house where myself and two other guys, three other guys, we prayed in front of the fireplace and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and how my life has never been the same since. And you think, oh, poor Pastor Dave, he just doesn't have any other stories. I do, but that's the most important story that I have in my life. Amen. And you know what? Every time I share that story, it, you, you probably chuckle, think it's funny, oh, poor Pastor Dave. You know, for me, it's cleaning out the pipes. Because every time I share that story, it's a reminder to me of what Jesus has done for me. It's a reminder to me how God loved me so much that I was introduced to Jesus. And that relationship that I've had with Jesus for the last 45 years has totally changed my life. And you know, what's interesting is I went a lot of years and never even talked about that. 
You know, if you were in the church in the early years, you probably never had heard that story. But you know, it's, it, it, something clicked in me one day, the importance of sharing what Jesus has done in our life. Because knowing what Jesus has done in my life is it, it feeds the confidence that he'll do it again. And not only will he do it again, he wants to do it again. And it reminds me of his love and, and unconditional love that he has for me and for each and every one of us. You know, in Mark 16, 20, it says, And they went out, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And so he's going to confirm whatever needs to be done in our life when we share. And you see, preaching the word, it isn't chapter and verse. It's talking about what God's done in our life. I love, I love the passage in Revelation. I hadn't seen it for years and years. But this is, I, I'm not sure which translation this is. But it says that witnessing releases the spirit of prophecy. You know what that means? That means that every time you share with somebody, revelation comes to you. I believe part of the revelation is that you become more sure of what Jesus has done for you. But the point of prophecy is to, re, is to reveal. And I believe other things are being revealed to us as well. Well, they're not, but they should be done downstairs. And so we'll close. And I know I didn't stay on subject very much tonight. I don't know why. But... Uh, um, we'll just blame Bill. <laughs> Why not? Amen. <laughs> so, uh, Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Thank you that it's living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Dividing asunder that which is soul from that which is spirit. And we thank you, Father, that you reveal truth and revelation to us. And so, Father, we yield unto you and we want you to have your way. In the glorious name of Jesus, amen. Be blessed. Have a great week.